All right, folks, so we're looking at the third minor prophet today, which is Amos, the book of Amos. And again, it has a lot of chapters to it. Actually, I think the prophet right after Amos is Obadiah, and it's only one chapter. So we'll, we'll spend at least a couple weeks talking about the one chapter. But uh, we're going to go through this together, and I'm not going to try and jam a whole lot of material into you uh, to get through this book. We're just going to take it and let the study speak to us. Now, when we talk about this, again, who is the prophecy to, first of all? Let's, let me ask that question. Who is it to? Is it to Philistines? Is it to Egyptians? Babylonians? Who's it to? Israel. Okay, so how does that relate to us today? If I'm going to learn from this, I need to think about who he's addressing it to, so he's He's, yes, he's still addressing it to Israel, but how about, who's it to today? All right, God's people, that's right. Nothing more than that, God's people. So you can't take it and apply it to Europe, okay? You can't take it and apply it to North America. It has to be God's people that he's talking to. So what we want to do is, is we want to look at it and say, okay, what is it that God is saying to his people, and how is that relevant to me, okay? Now, we've already talked about last week in the introductory material that Amos is pretty, uh, his theme is justice, okay? So he's rebuking a lot, okay? Some of their sins, a lot of their sins, actually. So, Let's look at this together. First of all, we're going to see verses 1 to 2. I call it the lion roars, and that's because of verse 2. But verse 1 is going to talk about the prophet. So the writer introduces the book as the prophecy given to the prophet Amos. Okay? Given to the prophet Amos, who, if you remember, he was a herdsman or a shepherd and a... He also took care of figs, uh, a dresser of sycamore trees, a dresser of sycamore trees. Now, it was given to the prophet during the days of Uzziah, that's king of Judah, and Jeroboam II, which was the king of the northern kingdom, Israel, or Samaria, whichever you want to call it. Now, with Jeroboam II, it was towards the end of Jeroboam's reign, Okay. Uzziah, it was kind of in the beginning part. Now, it was given two years before an earthquake. Now, in verse 1, you'll notice it says uh, two years before the earthquake. Now, we don't have any other record of this earthquake, okay? Except it was also mentioned by the prophet Zechariah. All right, it was also mentioned by the prophet Zechariah, and I gave you the reference there, Zechariah 14, verse 5, okay? He mentions the same earthquake. That's all we know. There was just earthquake. Everybody kind of put their frame around when that happened, okay? Kind of like talking today. You hear people talk about uh, COVID that way, when COVID happened. So everybody knows that's 2020, Okay? when COVID emerged and the lockdowns, you know what I'm saying? We talk like that. And, and so the prophet is saying, he ministered two years after the earthquake. Which earthquake? Well, you know the earthquake, you know, the one that 
tore up town and, and, you know, did this and killed so-and-so. You know, everybody knows the earthquake, all right? Now, we get to verse 2, and he portrays the Lord as a lion roaring from Jerusalem. First, he says Zion, which is Mount Zion, which is where the temple is. He also says then he's roaring from Jerusalem. So the Lord is roaring from Jerusalem, okay? And the Lord's roar affects the world as it mourns and withers. So this isn't just a simple meow, okay? This is a roar to instill what? Fear. Because God is, is, is speaking, all right? He's speaking, and if you look at verse 2, it says, The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel, which is Mount Carmel, withers. So, I mean, that, you're talking about affecting landscapes. You're talking about affecting pasture. I mean, God is speaking. He's roaring like a lion. Now, why? Well, he's going to be pronouncing a judgment that's coming. And he's going to be pronouncing it on three specific groups of people. So first of all, he's going to do it on a group of nations, and we're going to go through those nations here in a moment. That's chapter 1, verse 3, through chapter 2, verse 3. He's going to pronounce judgment on Judah. All right, and that's only a couple of verses. And then the rest of the time, he's going to spend it pronouncing judgment on Israel, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, okay? So let's talk first of all about these nations that he's pronouncing it on, okay? So first of all, it's Damascus. He pronounces judgment on Damascus. Now let me read this to you because all of these start out these way, okay? Thus says the Lord, verse 3, for three transgressions of Damascus... And for four, it will not turn away its punishment. Okay? I will not turn away its punishment. So when you look at each one of these judgments that are pronounced on these nations, even Judah and Israel, they begin with the same statement. For three transgressions, even four. Now, that is a Hebrew poetry mechanism where he's trying to emphasize four things that God is upset with. Now, he doesn't list four things. He's just saying there's a multitude of sins. But it's a poetic way of saying for three, no, for four. You know what I'm saying? Proverbs does that. You know, when it talks about the list of sins, yes, there are six things. Oh, five things. No, there are six things. You know, he's making the point there, okay? So, all right, so let's talk about Damascus. The Lord will... Not turn away his judgment for the four transgressions that Damascus committed. All right, so he's not going to turn away his judgment. Now, who's Damascus? Well, we know of Damascus today as being in what country? Where is Damascus in the Middle East? Anybody know? No, in the Middle East, not Italy. Damascus. It's a centuries-old city. Millennia old city. Can I help you? No, it's not in Judah. How about Syria? Everybody know Syria? It's the capital of Syria, okay? 
when you listen to the news and they talk about Syria, they'll talk about Damascus, okay? Now, at this time, it wasn't called Syria, although they sometimes are referred to as Syrians. It was the Aramean kingdom. The Aramean kingdom, or Aram, A-R-A-M, the kingdom of Aram, the ancient kingdom of Aram. That is what he's talking to here, all right? So he's not talking to the Assyrians, he's talking to the Syrians from the kingdom of Aram or the Aramean kingdom, okay? Just a little bit of information for you to forget by the time you get home for lunch, okay? So uh, this is what's happening here. He's going to, now here's what they're being punished for. Damascus, the capital of Aram, will be punished for its brutal attacks on Israel, now, here's what these nations would do. This is the kind of time when what they would do is, is they would attack each other and plunder each other. So it would be like today we would be, let's say the U.S. is constantly raiding Canada. You know, we're raiding the cities of Ontario, Hamilton, or, or Toronto, or Barrie, and what we're doing as we're going in is we, we're, we're, we're killing a lot of people, but we're taking all their stuff with us. We're loading up our trucks and heading back to our border, okay? The nations back there did that kind of thing. The Syrians would attack, okay? And the other kingdoms would attack each other. In fact, if you read if you read during the time of David, remember when David was fleeing from Saul, he hung around the Philistines, and he would have to go and tell the king of the Philistines what he's been doing. And he says, oh, I've been raiding here and raiding there and whatever. But actually what he was doing was he was killing all the old enemies of Israel. Okay? So this is a common practice during that time. Well, God's upset with them because when they're attacking the northern kingdom, they're being very brutal. You know, they're very, very brutal and so they're being judged. All right, so the next kingdom is Gaza. Anybody know where Gaza is? Uh, it's right near Egypt, but it's in a country today that is an ally of ours. Huh? Well, Jerusalem's a city, but what's the nation? Israel, yes. And so it's a portion of Israel, and, but it was the area of the Philistines. The Gaza was one of the kingdoms of the Philistines. Now, isn't that interesting? Let's pause for a moment. Think about that. So years ago, this was an area inhabited by people who were antagonistic towards Israel, the Philistines, who attacked them. Has anything changed? Is Gaza all for Israel today? No, not in the news as you see it. No, they're, they're rebelling against it. Every time there's a flare-up, it has something to do with what? Gaza, right? So this is one of the ancient enemies, okay? So... Gaza will be judged because they took Israel captive as slaves to, for the slave markets in Edom. So when they raided, they just didn't come and get plunder. They got people. And what did they do with the people? They shipped them over to the slave markets of Edom to sell them and make money off of them. Okay, so God is judging Gaza for shipping people off to the slave markets. All right, Tyre, okay, king of Tyre. Tyre is in what we call today, it's, it's right on the coast of Lebanon, all right? 
This also is an ancient enemy, all right? And again, they too are judged because they took Israel as captives for what? The slave markets in Edom, okay? But there's one other reason why they're condemned. The text tells you that they forgot something. Tyre will be judged as well for forgetting the agreement between Solomon and King Hiram of Tyre. Now, if you go all the way, and I gave you the reference to 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 18, you'll see that there is an agreement that takes place between King Solomon and King Hiram, and they refer to each other as brothers, okay? And the one promises to send craftsmen to Solomon. Solomon promises to send this to, to Tyre. Tyre promises to send the cedars of Lebanon to, so for, the, for whatever the... And so there's this agreement that they're supposed to be brothers now and be kind to each other. Well, at this point, they are no longer kind. They're raiding Israel and taking away people as slaves for the slave markets. And God says, I'm judging you for taking them away, but I'm also judging you because you forgot your agreement. You forgot your agreement long ago. Okay? Isn't that interesting? God has a long memory, doesn't he? Okay? Because by this point, Solomon's been dead a long time. All right? Now, Edom is judged now. Now, let's stop for a moment. Does anybody know who Edom is? Esau, yes, the brother of who? Jacob, who is Israel. So these are Edom and Esau are paternalistic. They're, they're brothers. Now, where would Edom be on the map today? Well, if you and I were to look to the map today, Edom would be the area that is known as the kingdom of Jordan. Okay, the kingdom of Jordan is Edom. Isn't that interesting? The enemies haven't changed, have they? No. Okay, so Edom is judged for pursuing his brother Israel with a persistent and unfeeling hostility. Meaning that he is just constantly trying to create a problem for Israel with an unfeeling, that means no compassion, okay? No compassion, he's just attacking them constantly, over and over, all right? So, this is what Edom is doing. Ammon is judged. Now, anybody know who Ammon is? This might be a little harder. It's from the book of Genesis, okay? There are two brothers who were born. One is called Ammon. The other is Moab. And they are the sons of who? You need help? I'll tell you when they were born. After the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah. Does that help you a little bit? So they were born after the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah. Who's their daddy? And I'm not singing a song, okay? Who's their daddy? Lot. You're right, Lori. Lot, okay? Who's their mama? 
Lot's daughters. That's right. Remember? Lot, because he was so freaked out about what happened to Sodom, hid himself in caves. And the daughters said, we're never going to have anything better. We, we, we need to have heirs. And so they got their daddy drunk. And of course, the rest is history. And from that, the product is two nations, Moab and Ammon. Okay? Ammon is judged for its brutality in attacking Israel as they willfully killed pregnant women. So when they raided and attacked and they take an area, they come across a pregnant woman, they didn't spare the pregnant woman, they ripped the child from her, is what the text. The text is very graphic, okay? So that's Ammon. Moab, now it's interesting, Moab is being judged here not for its attack on Israel, but Moab is judged for desecrating the body of Edom's king. For some reason, the prophet mentions that the offense that God's upset with is there must have been a battle between Edom and Moab, and what ended up happening is, is they desecrated the body of the king. And in the, with the ancients, the dead were supposed to be buried. And it seems to be that the scholars are saying that uh, Moab dug up the body of Edom's king and desecrated it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that was a, an offense, okay? And God is judging them for that. Kind of odd, because all the other ones have something to do with what? Israel, right? This one doesn't. All right, now, the next one is Judah, verses 4 and 5. Only two verses are given concerning Judah. Judah is judged because they despised the law and did not keep his commandments. So Judah is being judged, the prophet says, because they despised God's law and didn't keep his commandments, okay? Judah was led astray by lies which their fathers followed. So the point he's making here is, is rather than obeying the law, keeping the law, keeping the commandments, they were led astray by what? Lies. What kind of lies? Well, the implication here is, is the lies of following after the Baals and the Astaroth poles, following after the idols and making sacrifices to these different gods of the different nations, okay? So he's judging them. Now, they're only given two verses. And I think the reason why, because we're going to look at Israel next, and it's a major portion now, because who is Amos a prophet to? Which kingdom is he a prophet to? Is he a prophet to the kingdom of Judah, or is he a prophet to the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel? Who is he a prophet to? Okay, he's a prophet. He's from Judah, but he's a prophet to the northern kingdom. So he's going to spend a lot more time talking about the northern kingdom, although he wants to mention, because he's judging the other nations, he's judging the nation to the south of them, which is Judah for despising the law and being led astray by, by their father. So let's talk about Israel. Israel's sins are many here, okay? Okay? So here's what they were doing. First one 
Israel was selling the poor into slavery for not repaying their debts. That's the first thing. All right. So they had such a low regard for God's law. God's law was, if Rob owed me money, the law stated within a certain period of time when he had to repay it. And after that, there would be a time where Rob would be forgiven of it. Because he's my brother. We're from the same clan, the same family, the same nation. Okay. Well, at this point, they're no longer regarding God's law anymore. So Rob owes me money. Rob, I want my money. Oh, you're going to wait seven years. Okay. Well, six and a half. Where's my money, Rob? Okay. Hey, sheriff, come arrest him. And he, I sell him as a slave to get my money. Or part of my money. Okay. So do you see what happens? They're selling. Now, we did that here as well, too. I mean, do you understand? Don't be harsh on Israel. That's even a, part of our, even a part of our founding of our nation because the Europeans, they called them indentured servants. So if I owed money in France or I owed money in England and I couldn't pay it off, rather than being in a, think about this, they had debtor prisons. You went to prison to pay off your debt, okay? How do you do that, okay? Well, anyhow, what they would do is they called them indentured servants. And so in the early years of the colonies in our nation, they shipped them overseas to work off their debts. They were indentured servants, like another form of slavery, Okay? Now, we, as time moved on, we moved away from that, thankfully. Although you might say, well, we've got forms of this today, right? Okay? So, Israel was selling the poor into slavery for not repaying the debts. Here's the next sin. Israel was exploiting the courts to deny the poor justice. All right, so let me go back to my illustration of Rob, Okay? Let's say I do something wrong to Rob. Rob, you know, first of all, he's, he's borrowing money, but he can't do it. But I did something wrong to him. And we go to court here in Clearfield. And the judge, I have lunch with him all the time. In fact, we do breakfast. I buy him breakfast. How you doing there, Pastor Cannon? How, how's it going? Nice to see you, judge. Whatever. He doesn't know Rob from anything. Rob shows up with his flannel shirt. I show up in a suit for court. And so Rob shows up and he says, I've got this problem with Pastor Ken and he did this to me and he owes me this and he, and he did this to my property or he did this to my truck. And the judge, who's my buddy because we eat all the time, and I've also told him that if he helps me out, I'll give him a few bucks makes a judgment against Rob and says, oh, your judgment, Pastor Cannon is correct. You're wrong. They were exploiting the poor through the court systems, through the courts, through the judgments, okay? So that's their second thing. They're, they're, they're enslaving the poor. They're exploiting the poor by denying them justice, Here's another one. Now, this is interesting when you read it. Like, what in the world are they talking about? Israel was marked by sexual sin where a son, a father and a son go to the same prostitute. 
And that is so, God's anger at this is not just because it's sexual immorality, but that's so non, that is so out of the order of creation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where, where the father and son go after the same woman or have sex with the same woman. And so God is expressing his anger because that's what's taking place. Now, why did I say prostitute? Because more than likely, it was a temple prostitute. What do you mean a temple prostitute? Well, the northern kingdom had temples to Baals and Ashtaroth. They're fertility gods. And part of their aspect of their worship was having temple prostitutes, male and female temple prostitutes. And so what's going on here is not just a sexual sin, but also adultery attached to it, where the father and son are going to the same prostitute. Okay? God is upset with them about that. And then Israel was worshiping the false gods with their gains from exploiting the poor. So I go, remember, go back to my court case with Rob here. And the judge says, you know what? You've been aggravating to him. I'm fining you $100. You need to pay Pastor Cannon for his time 100 bucks. Of course, I give 20 to the judge. And then I got 80 for myself. Now, what do I do with it? What the Israelites were doing with it is they were going and taking it to the temple and using it at the temple. And God is upset with them. This, this is very devastating sin, isn't it? Okay? So the Lord points out that he fought their enemies and gave them the land. So here's what God is saying. Don't you remember who I am? I'm the one who fought your enemies. And I gave you the land. Okay? And you're doing this? So in spite of this, Israel showed the Lord contempt by rejecting his ways and his word. What do you mean showing contempt? Well, a Nazarite. Does anybody know what a Nazarite is? Remember what that is? Somebody who takes a Nazarite vow. They weren't supposed to cut their hair. They weren't supposed to drink or eat anything from the fruit of the vine. And they weren't also supposed to do what? Weren't supposed to touch a dead body. Now, there were lifetime Nazarites like Samson. We know that from there. But there were others who took a Nazarite vow for a moment. And Paul did that, okay? Where, and then he would go to Jerusalem and make a sacrifice and then cut his hair when the vow was over. Now, what they were doing was forcing those who were wanting to be solemn before the Lord to drink wine, okay? They're forcing people to do something that they're not supposed to do. And that's what he's upset with them. He said, I did all this for you. I fought your enemies. I gave you land. And here's what you're doing. You're forcing the Nazarites to, to do this. There's one other thing. Let me look at the verse here that they were doing. Verse 12. But you gave Nazarites wine to drink. And here, commanded the prophets saying, do not prophesy. So it's not that they were interfering with the vows of people who were making vows to the Lord. They were telling the prophets not to what? Prophesy, or should I say, preach. They were telling people to quit preaching. Quit proclaiming God's word. Okay? Now, here's what happens. The Lord proclaims that he is burdened by their sin as a cart of sheaves. 
Now, about the closest thing that I have for you to think about that is like if you go down into Amish country during harvest time and they have harvested the corn and you know they they do it differently than we do. They'll bundle up and they throw the bundles on their on their carts and then they uh, haul them away with horses. They look pretty heavy. And so God says, I am burdened by your sin, just like a cartload of, of, of sheaves that are being taken from the field. Okay, so the Lord is describing that to them. And he proclaims that their very best will not escape the coming judgment. And he does this poetically. So let me read to you what he says. Verse 13, behold, I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. Here's what he says. Therefore, flight shall perish from, your, from the swift. The strong shall not, be strength, shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day, says the Lord. So what he's saying here is, he proclaims that their very best will not escape the coming judgment. So what he's describing is, is it doesn't, you know, because you ignored me, because you did this, I'm bringing judgment on you, and it's going to be such that your mighty men aren't even going to have strength anymore. The guy on the horse isn't going to be able to escape. People who run aren't going to be swift enough. It's coming. I'm bringing judgment. And that's what we see here in this part of Amos. Amos.